0: A young perspective on hot-button issues around the world. This is The Hub. Hello and welcome to The Hub and Bongwan in Beijing. The state of affairs of the Chinese economy concerns many. On one hand, there is persistent pressure from slowing growth rate, coupled with youth unemployment and sluggish consumption. On the other hand, there have been stimulus measures from both physical and monetary sides to keep the Chinese economy afloat. All this while there are mixed signals from the Biden administration in the United States regarding its decoupling policy vis-a-vis China, which only heightened uncertainties about the future of globalization. Now, my guest today will look at all these issues from a vantage point. Dr. Ngozi okunjo Aiwila is the Director General of the World Trade Organization, the WTO. What does the future of global trade hold for China and the world? Will ongoing reforms improve WTO functioning and strengthening trust in the multilateral trading system? I interviewed Dr. Awila earlier at the Summer Davos Forum. Here's the conversation. Dr. Angozi, welcome to China after a multiple-year absence. Thank you very much. Uh, It's good to be back in Tianjin. You returned to China, so is the Summer Davos after a three-year absence. Madam Director General how do you expect this summer davos to deliver for global economy in galvanizing consensus and action for the world economy
1: Well I think it's uh, really critical that this is taking place in China as you know China is uh, the second largest economy in the world a driver of global growth uh, so having a gathering like this with key business people key Policymakers and politicians at a time of heightened global tension, I think, is a very good thing because we can all listen to what China is trying to do. One, for its economy to recover uh, and keep driving uh, the global growth, keep contributing. Two, how is China feeling about these tensions and how can we cooperate better globally? Because we cannot solve the world's problems unless the two big economies, the two big parts get along.
0: Exactly. How do you see the role of China in this post-pandemic world, especially in terms of helping with global trade and global growth? And in particular, how do you see China's role within this multilateral trading system?
1: Well, uh, China is probably one of the poster children uh, for the success of the multilateral trading system. Since it joined uh, the World Trade Organization in 2001, China has done phenomenally well. Its per capita income has increased over 12 times. It's now the largest exporter in the world. It's the second largest importer. Uh, So on all counts, China has done extremely well. And, And as everyone says, it's critical to the world economy. So what happens to China? is of consequence, not only to people in China, but to everyone around the world. And uh, so we whatever happens in trade also, uh, China is central to that.
0: China formally applied for the resumption of China's membership to the GATT as a contracting party on July the 10, 1986. The negotiations lasted for 15 years, And on December 11, 2001, China officially became the WTO's 143rd member. In the two decades since he joined the WTO, China has contributed about 30% to global growth on an average annual basis, becoming a major driver of the world economy. China's average tariff rates have been reduced from 15% to 7%, well below its commitment of 10%, and far lower than other major emerging economies. Foreign direct investment into China has increased at an average annual rate of 6%, ranking first among developing countries for 30 consecutive years. China is now the world's second largest economy, largest trader in goods, and largest destination for foreign investment. As the world's largest developing country, China's accession to the WTO has not only benefited the country itself, but also the world as a whole. You mentioned the projections from the IMF as well as the World Bank uh, of over 5% of growth for China going forward. Is that also the uh, consensus estimate projection from the WTO from you?
1: We look at the numbers last year um, and trade Between China and some of its biggest trading partners, the numbers still look robust. The trade with the U.S. at 690 billion U.S. dollars is close even past the peak that we saw just before the pandemic. With the EU over 818 billion dollars in trade, you see the numbers are really large and substantial. However, what we are detecting this year is some changes in the patterns of trade. And that is why we are concerned about the talk of decoupling because the numbers that I just talked to you just now are based on previous investment patterns. Now, if we begin to see investment patterns changing in certain sectors and, uh, and those investments going away from China, then that might drive changes in the trade numbers. So this is a little bit of concern to us, but we know in certain areas that, uh, you know, trade is, trade investment patterns are shifting and companies seem to be diversifying and uh, moving uh, to other areas. So it is just the beginning of the data. We don't know if it's a blimp or if it's going to continue, but we are beginning to see changes. So let's wait and see what happens uh, with Chinese trade by the end of this year.
0: Madam Director-General, you talk about uh, tensions. There's actually a saying that says, when trade starts, war may stop. Mm -hmm. But the sad reality we're facing right now is, war started and trade suffered. But you said, the war and geopolitical tensions in the world, quote unquote, further underscored the need for trade. Can you elaborate?
1: Let me elaborate by saying this first. We should remember that when the multilateral trading system was created after World War II with the General Agreement on Tariffs and Trade, and late, which later became the WTO, the idea was that interdependence, not overdependence, interdependence would bring peace. And we must admit that over the past 75 years, the system has likely delivered. The world has been peaceful, over a billion people have been lifted out of poverty, A lot of them in China, of course, but not only in China. And so we should think through this, that the system created largely delivered. And we should not be in a hurry to say this system doesn't work or throw out the baby with the bat That's why we we think that the multilateral trading system is key. It is not perfect. Um, You know that some people were left behind, poor people in rich countries may not have benefited and of course there are poor countries who did not benefit and what we are saying now is rather than say let's throw this system away let's look at how we can deal with the vulnerabilities we've seen the system we've seen through the pandemic and and uh, the war in ukraine that some supply chains are vulnerable maybe there's too much concentration of production in certain sectors we've seen semiconductors we've seen food, fertilizer and food for instance. So what we should be asking ourselves is how do we diversify those supply chains? We've also seen rare earths, a a great deal of concentration in some of these sectors. Let's see how we can build resilience by diversifying supply chains. And we can do it in such a way that we can include those who were left behind. Pharmaceuticals, we saw that during the pandemic 10 countries in the world export 80% of the vaccines. That didn't work very well because some poor countries were left at the end of the queue. Countries in Africa had to wait for vaccines. So we should think about how do we diversify the pharmaceutical supply chain so that the African continent with 1.4 billion people can also produce some of its vaccines. That will build resilience. Next time there is a pandemic, people don't need to die if we have the technology because we can manufacture quickly. Fertilizers, we see that there's a great dependence on the Black Sea region for grains and for fertilizer and this is crucial. Well, why don't we try to diversify and see how we can produce more fertilizer all over the world. Uh, That will help us build resilience. Rare earths, there are many places, several places where there are rare earths. We have rare, rare earths in Africa too. We need to figure out how we can produce there without the very polluting uh, processes that are needed, but that will help us diversify supply chains there. So, the issue is trying to deal with the overdependence on certain in certain sectors and deconcentrating production and diversifying. Not saying that globalization doesn't work or trade doesn't work. That is not true.
0: Yeah, Actually, you answered uh, part of my next question, which is um, you know, in light of all the talks and hypes of delinking, linking de-globalization and de-risking, uh, whatever that means, as an economist and also the chief of the WTO, how do you look at the future of uh, global trade? What would you say to those naysayers who are questioning uh, the benefits and utility of open and fair trade?
1: Well, I'll continue from my last point. We think that an open, fair, Predictable multilateral trading system that is stable is what the world still needs. You cannot solve today's global problems without the multilateral trading system. So I think it's you, one is deceiving oneself by saying you trade do, doesn't work or you don't need. Let me just take food. One in five calories consumed in the world is traded. There are many parts of the world that simply cannot produce their own food or can't produce enough for their population. If you say trade doesn't work, how are those people going to feed themselves? Take climate change. We know that climate change is changing the patterns of rain and production and heat. Some places that were bread baskets today, or that are bread baskets today, we can already see changing patterns. They may not have the water in the future to even grow the kinds of crops they're growing. Well, what is going to happen? That may be grown in another part of the world. If you don't have trade, how will you move that food around? So people should just think about what they are saying. The multilateral trading system is instrumental, whether you're dealing with climate change, with the pandemic, with all kinds of problems that the world needs to solve. So we do need it. it again, I will say to people, it's one thing to say there are problems with the system, and we should look how we can solve those problems and make them more inclusive. What we are actually advocating at the WTO is something we call re-globalization, and I want everybody to really walk away with that term, re-globalization. We want to reimagine globalization to include those who were left behind, whether it's poor people and poor regions in rich countries, Why don't you decentralize production and supply chains to where those people are to include them? Whether it poor countries that were left behind, Africa has not really been integrated into the world trading system the way we would like. It has only 3% of world trade. So why can't we think of the opportunity? That is where future labor is going to be. Remember that there's one structural factor in the world now emerging markets some China included and developed countries are facing a demographic con- constraint they have an aging population and if you want future productivity increases you have to look for where the young people are going to be. Africa. Africa is it so businesses should start thinking and policymakers, how do we include Africa into the global value chains because that is where will be able to have the productivity we need. That's re-globalization.
0: Dr. Ngozi Okunjo-Aiwila, the seventh director general of the WTO, was elected on February the 15th, 2021. At 66 years old, she's the first woman and the first African to serve as director general. She's a development economist and spent a 25-year career at the World Bank, rising to the number two position of managing director. She served as Nigeria's finance minister and foreign minister and was formerly chair of the board of Javi, the Vaccine Alliance. In recent years, the multilateral trading system has been undermined by unilateralism and protectionism, leading to suspension of the appellate body in the dispute settlement mechanism and prompting calls from the international community for the reform of the WTO. Dr. Aiwila is taking on the difficult job of promoting multilateral trading system and upholding multilateralism. Madam Director General, on many occasions you talk passionately about the necessity for WTO reform. And at the center of it all, uh, many argues, is the dispute settlement mechanism. Unfortunately, uh, there hasn't been new appointment of judges. Some countries, uh, namely the United States, blocked efforts to appoint new judges over 60 times. How does that, the WTO plan to revive that very important appellate body?
1: Well, thank you, Guan, for that uh Question. I think the reform of the WTO is something that is very important to us and a good part of that reform is reform of our dispute settlement system. The only one in the world where whether you're a small tiny country and you have a problem, you can bring a bigger country before the dispute settlement system and it really underpins the credibility of all the trade agreements we make. So the good news is that we agreed at the last ministerial meeting in June last year, ministers agreed that the dispute settlement system must be reformed by 2024. And we're really hoping that by a ministerial meeting in February next year, we'll have a good chunk of the reform in place, if not all of it. Uh, So members are meeting with each other now, trying to move the process forward, and we hope we can come up with a credible way forward by February of next year
0: services trade and the digital trade are growing in both proportion and importance. Uh, What are some of the highlights regarding those types of trade that you think are worth sharing with policymakers and our audience?
1: Well, you know, in many economies services, the services sector is a very large part of GDP. Services trade I think is the future. The future of trade is services always trade, say it's green It's digital and it should be inclusive. So what do I mean by all that? We see that within services trade, there's a sector of services that is growing at phenomenal rates, which is digitally delivered services. Anything from streaming of movies and videos, to education online, to accountancy services, to outsourcing, to internet trade. There's so much happening digitally with an 8% per annum growth rate in digitally delivered services trade compared to 5.6% for goods trade. This is where we see the future stripping away. So we think that we need to look at that. That is a green shoot in the world economy. It can help us recover. You saw during the pandemic, digitally delivered services trade was growing at even double digits, 14% or so per annum. So we need to build on it. At the WTO, what we're doing is saying, Well, if this is going to be the future of trade, we need the rules to underpin this trade. Like we have global rules for goods trade, we need rules for digital trade to make sure it's stable, it's predictable, it's transparent and fair. So 90 of our members are negotiating an e-commerce agreement that we hope will provide the basis for stable digital trade for the future. We also need to think of the 2.7 billion people who are not yet on the internet, most of them in poor countries and don't have access to electricity. If we want the future of digitally delivered services and digital trade to grow, we've got to focus on investing in in power and it can be renewable and green power and also investing in satellites, the least expensive types of internet connections so that those people can be brought into services trade.
0: You came from one of the most populous countries in the world, uh, the most populous in Africa, Nigeria, and also you are a developmental economist. How do you compare and contrast and look at China's path to modernization, which is very important to the 1.4 billion people here? China has obviously experimented with a model that is different from the Western mainstream political models. What we call the Chinese path to modernization. Madam Director-General, how do you look at the Chinese path to modernization?
1: Well, one very important thing in the Chinese path is the openness to the world. And President Xi and, and Premier Li keep emphasizing that China will continue to open up and to open to the world. So this is the critical thing. So I think that openness, the liberalization, of many sectors in China has contributed to the phenomenal growth that we have seen in China. Of course, China has to continue to be more open, to be more transparent, because that builds trust with the rest of the world. As you know, there's often a complaint that there's no uh, some lack of transparency in the method that China has used to develop. For us in the trade world we're often struggling with this, you know, the, you know, other countries or members that complain that there are hidden subsidies, industrial subsidies. We are beginning to work with China to make more transparent those subsidies. And I was delighted during my meeting with Premier Li, when he said that China's notifications uh, to us at the WTO will con- contain an unprecedented uh, number of notifications from China, both from the local government as well as the central government that will show us what the Chinese government is doing uh, with respect to these subsidies and other information. So that kind of openness and transparency is part of the new way China's model is working and China wants to do business. And I strongly want to encourage it because I think the more open China is, the more trust, the more investment will come in. Um, We also need to think about uh, China's model of trying to invest in other countries. And I would strongly encourage, remember what China was trying to do in Ethiopia, trying to encourage the development of certain industries uh, in leather, in textiles in Ethiopia. And Chinese outward direct investment in African countries that creates jobs, that's also welcome.
0: One of the hotly discussed and debated uh, projects is China's Belt and Road Initiative. Um, We have a set of data here. Uh, China and the countries along the BRI, trade-wise, has doubled over the past 10 years with an annualized growth rate of 8%. How do you look at the merits of this BRI project for global trade and growth?
1: As the BRI project, as long as it's opening up and helping create infrastructure, many, many developing countries are hungry for infrastructure. Um, on the African continent you can see that up to 55% of the population do not have access to electricity. So if you have the investment that can help bring energy, particularly if it's investment in renewables um, away from moving away from fossil fuels that is welcome. Road infrastructure, ports that open up the economies and help them grow that is welcome. The only thing I would say is The way this investment is done is very important. As long as it is not creating debt that is unsustainable for the poor countries and they cannot pay. You know the situation we have with Zambia now. If uh, these countries are heavily dependent on commodities and the price falls, then you find they fall into a situation where they're debt distressed and they cannot even service the debt. So the manner in which the investment is made will be very important. You know, the rates at which the loans are given should be as much as possible concessional, so that countries can earn and pay back. So yes, if the Belt and Road Initiative can help in a way that is productive to open up infrastructure and and countries can service whatever they borrow. So China really has to watch that aspect of its investment because China also does not want to be in a position of accumulating, uh, being a creditor that will not be paid back because the loans are unsustainable. So that's the only part. Otherwise, I think many countries are welcoming uh, investment in the infrastructure because that money is not coming from anywhere else. On the
0: 12th Ministerial Conference of WTO, uh, there are a lot of things on the agenda, um, particularly on national uh, ratification on fishery, uh, why fishery and why are those issues important to WTO and to you?
1: First of all, I want to say just how delighted I am that China ratified the Fishery Subsidies Agreement this morning. Finally, right? After we, what? No, no, no. China is among the first, uh, you know, 15 to do this. Um, so this is wonderful. China is the largest fishing nation in the world. It is also the largest subsidizer. So the fact that it has ratified this early is delightful and I'm very grateful to Minister Wang Wentao uh, who, who told us and gave us the ratification certificate to Premier Lee uh, for what has been done. So why is fisheries important? First of all, the Fisheries Subsidies Agreement tried to do away with $22 billion in harmful fisheries subsidies that are leading to IUU fishing illegal unreported and unregulated fishing of waters. So it's a sustainability agreement. If we do away with this, it means we have more sustainable fisheries, our oceans, more sustainable. This is the first such agreement that has been done at the WTO. And it's delivering SDGs, Sustainable Development Goal 14.6. So it's really critical. What does it mean for people? It means that all those fisher people, and many countries have artisanal fisher men and women, will have more abundant fish if you don't have all this illegal fishing going on. So it's a very important agreement. There are over 260 million people in the world who depend on fisheries. So this is to make their livelihoods better. Madam Director General, finally a personal question. You have a
0: track record of breaking glass ceilings. You're the first female and African leader to head the World Trade Organization. Also, you were the Minister of Finance twice for your home country, Nigeria, and also briefly the Foreign Minister, all making records. Many young people, young girls, boys are looking up to you. What would you like to say to them?
1: Well, thank you very much, and I'm absolutely uh, grateful to members for electing me uh, the first woman and the first African to be the head of the WTO and GATT for the past 75 years, yes. Um, but I hope that it's also the best person to lead the organization. And when I was competing, I actually said to them, yes, it's wonderful to be a woman because no woman has ever led the organization or to be African. But this organization needs the person with the best skills to lead, the person who merits it. So please choose that person. If it is me, It would be wonderful and of course I think it should be me. Anyway, in the end I was selected, so I'm very happy. Merit is very important. I hope that this will show young women uh, and young men and people of colour that if they work hard, they keep a straight path with integrity, that they will be able to rise to the top and lead organisations even faster than I have been able to do. So I wish the younger people to move, especially young women, faster, quicker to head these kinds of organizations.
0: Madam Director General, thank you so much for your time and your flexibility. We really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Juan.